0: Werbex, Derby. So Matthew 21 verses 1 to 11, just give you a moment or two to find that and then we'll go. It says this, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And Father, we just ask that you would speak to us as we jump into this this morning. Amen. At the moment, if you're in Derby, we can't even get into the Peak District if you're tuning in elsewhere. I'm sure there's other places you'd like to be, but we can't even get uh, to any of those places. But I don't know if there are places that you've kind of always longed to go. Maybe it was a a special restaurant. Maybe it was a beach somewhere. Maybe it was a mountain range. Maybe it was a city. Well, a few years ago, I was fortunate enough to go with some friends of mine to Israel. And it was a group. It was a bunch of vicars. So I'll let you make up your mind what that might be like. Um, But we got to go to Israel and we stayed for the first night. For the first few nights, we stayed in Jerusalem or just outside it. And on the first day, we managed to make our way up to uh, the Mount of Olives, which is the kind of hill, really, that overlooks Jerusalem. And it's quite incredible to get to visit the land that Jesus once walked on. But one of the things that, well, some of the things that I noticed almost as soon as we were there were just how different this place was from the UK. It, uh, the heat was quite intense. It was midsummer. Um, the smells are very different. Culturally, things felt very different. And even the churches, we went to so many churches, felt very, very different to the kind of style of church that I'm used to. They felt incredibly eastern, which <clears throat> makes sense because Israel is in the Middle East. But today we're remembering with Christians around the world the Sunday that we call Palm Sunday. And our reading comes from Matthew's version of the Jesus story. There's Matthew, there's Mark, there's Luke, there's John, and each one of the gospel writers, the good news writers, kind of shape their narrative in a particular way for um, a particular audience. And Matthew is incredibly Eastern. He's writing for Jewish people. He's doing what Phil, our lead minister, said uh, a few weeks ago in Acts 17, where Paul tailored his message to his audience. And Matthew is very much doing that um, for the Jewish people. And so when you read through the book of Matthew, you'll see very much it's tailored. There's lots of quotes from the Old Testament. There's lots of kind of connecting back with their past. And today we've got this incredible story that begins where I stood four years ago on the Mount of Olives overlooking Jerusalem. And Jesus, he's traveling with his friends, with his followers, with his disciples, which, by the way, if you're a follower of Jesus, is a really uh, excellent challenge to us that even in this season of COVID 19 that actually we're called to do this together. This is not something that we kind of do apart. Um, and I want to say to you if you didn't join a words group, we had words groups start this week. There are our small groups. We started them online for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. And I would love to encourage you to um, join up with one of those. We had a fantastic meeting this week. There's still space online you can find that. So we can do this stuff together. And uh, anyway, in Matthew, we're coming uh, into the final third, and the final third is all about Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, his death, his resurrection, and um, we join today's story. And he sends his disciples out to go and find some animals for him to ride on. And it, it might—it's quite, you know, Jesus. His disciples were were used to hearing him asked them to uh, do things. Peter was asked to go and pay the tax from the uh, coin he finds in a fish's mouth. They were asked to fill water jars with big water and then out comes the wine at a wedding. They had to feed a whole crowd with a lunchbox. They had to roll away the stone from a tomb of a dead man and then see him walk out. The disciples were used to Jesus asking them to do things and then see him do incredible things. It would never have been boring to be with Jesus, just incredible to have been around him. And they send Jesus sends them out and in some ways a mundane request. where you just go and find these animals. And there are different thoughts on this. Some people would say that Jesus had planned for this to happen, for them to go and find his animals. He had made an arrangement. He knew people in Jerusalem. He had visited it before, it tells us, in John 11. And um, actually, maybe although Matthew doesn't tell us, there was a, an arrangement. But others of us might think, actually, maybe there's something, some prophetic leading going on. Maybe the Holy Spirit has kind of spoken to Jesus and he knew the animals were going to be there because God has spoken to him. And actually, that's what the disciples find. And personally, I've lent towards that because it doesn't seem like an arrangement. He just says, you know, if somebody asks you, tell them that the Lord needs it, which he means the Lord God. Um, he's not talking about himself. there; He's talking about his father. Um, I don't know if you've ever kind of sensed that. God speaking to you. For, for us, um, sometimes we have a sense that uh, as we read the Bible, something particularly speaks to us. For other times it might be that as we pray, we're kind of reminded of something or a sermon or, or we get an image in our mind or a scripture or the Bible kind of talks about words of knowledge as the Holy Spirit leads and he guides us. And as Christians, we should be expectant of that. But I don't know if you've seen any of the videos that have gone viral in the past few days. There's a vicar down in London, um, a vicar in Notting Hill, and he uh, ended up going out with a car and a big loudspeaker system. And he's been playing Amazing Grace loudly at the invitation of members of his congregation. And uh, at the end of it, he invites anybody who's listening to pray the Lord's Prayer with him. And there was that one video I saw yesterday of a, uh, from a nurse at the Charing Cross Hospital who said that she was holding the hand of a dying patient, I believe, and um, she heard it through the windows because he was just near the, st- near the hospital, and it just massively encouraged her, and she wasn't a religious person. And by the time I'd seen the video yesterday, over 3 million people had seen that. And I, I messaged uh, the vicar we met a, a few months ago, and I just said uh, to him, Pat, you know, What's going on there? And he said, well, I just felt God was leading me to do that. It wasn't a big, booming voice. It was just a still, small voice. But he felt led to do that. And through that, millions of people have um, kind of been encouraged by the good news about Jesus. Just incredible. But back to the story, Matthew, for his Jewish audience, Highlights that all that is going on here is to fulfill what had been spoken about through the prophet um, from the Old Testament. This particular one, Zechariah, he says this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, a very uh, odd thing that Matthew says a lot. And it says, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you. Now, some of us who've been around church for a while, we might, and we know the story from other gospels, might ask the question, why are there two animals in Matthew when the other ones only talk about one? And Matthew very regularly has uh, two, so he likes to put things in twos. In the previous chapter, there are two blind men who are healed, and often his miracles seem to have two, and some people think, oh, you know, maybe Matthew's just kind of make the thing look more dramatic, or other people say, oh, maybe Matthew's just tailoring his narrative to the prophecy from Zechariah, trying to make it fit in, but we would understand that God inspired this and Matthew is um, an accurate and a trustworthy source. And therefore, actually, the most likely thing is that there were two animals and the only and the other gospel writers only felt it fit to um, put one animal in there. So Jesus could have simply uh, gone into Jerusalem just through walking. He would have been incognito. People wouldn't really have noticed him. But by doing what he does, Um, he's making very specific statements about who he is and we get the crowds welcoming him we get to see the whole city was stirred I don't know if you've ever thought about that the whole city is stirred there's crowds shouting out Hosanna to the son of David there's people waving palms there's a you know just huge amounts of stuff going on it must have been an incredible scene to have been part of and in response the crowds ask in verse 10 they say Who is this? Who is this? Who's this man? What's going on? And I just want to spend the rest of this morning just highlighting how the passage says we could answer some of those questions through the reading. Firstly, as the story starts, we found Jesus, didn't we, with his disciples approaching Jerusalem. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but the fact that Jesus has disciples shows that he was a rabbi. Now, I'm trying to think of something that can help us remember that. Um. Jesus was Jewish. Jesus was a, a rabbi. And we can quite easily forget that. Jesus um, had these guys. He drew with him. His followers were unusual for a rabbi. His disciples were a little bit different. But actually, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi and he was a teacher. And in Matthew's gospel, there are five sections of his teaching. Um, but being a follower of a rabbi was more than just kind of filling your head with knowledge. It was more than having books like the ones behind me. It was more uh, like an all, all whole life apprenticeship rather than um, simply an online course where you kind of get a particular certificate. It was aiming to become not just in what you knew, but in your whole life, like the rabbi that you were following. And that's what Jesus's disciples were seeking to do. And you see how the disciples respond to Jesus in verse six. It just says they went and did as Jesus instructed him. They, they kind of did what he asked them to do. Now, for me, at different times in my life, I've had had the privilege of having lots of people who've invested in me and kind of taught me and shaped me and honed me. First of all, my mum was massively influential for me um, growing up. There have been youth leaders, there have been vicars. Then from afar, there have been uh, people that I've read or talks that I've listened to, people that have invested in me that way. But actually what we're seeing with Jesus is far greater intentionality, there's far greater intensity. They lived and walked and did life together for many years. And I wanna say to us this morning, all of us have teachers. All of us have people who are shaping us, even if the people saying to us, you know, it's just our Instagram feed saying, kind of feeding us or the stuff we watch watch on Netflix, actually things are teaching us. There are particular rabbis that we have in our lives. And so a question I want to ask to us is, who is your rabbi? Who is your teacher? Who are you allowing to influence you and kind of grow your values and your vision and your ambitions and your dreams? Who is your rabbi? For those of us that are Christians, obviously, the ultimate answer is Jesus Christ. But if you're just kind of tuning in this morning, even church isn't something you do, then I would want to ask you to consider the man whose teaching has influenced uh, human culture throughout history more than anybody else, the person of Jesus. And for those of us who are Christians, I want to encourage us to think about the way Jesus gathers disciples around him and does life with them. Who are you gathering around you, teaching the ways of Jesus to? And who are you allowing to teach uh, you and encourage you in your life? So, firstly, Jesus is a rabbi the second way in which that question in verse 10 that the the city asks, who is this is answered in the quotes um, from the old testament say to daughter zion see your king comes to you and hosanna to the son of david matthew here is quoting from zechariah where the city called jerusalem is spoken of as the a daughter expecting her king how it kind of reminds us of that great king of the old testament king david who entered into Jerusalem after he'd defeated his son Absalom he'd had battles and there'd been victory and he enters in and for centuries Jews had been expecting another king somebody who would restore the Jewish throne go back almost to that golden era of King David there was a promise in 2 Samuel that God was going to place somebody on David's throne forever and they were waiting for this special one, this chosen one, this anointed one. An anointed one in, in Hebrew is Messiah. Anointed one in Greek is Christ. It's not Jesus' surname. It's a title. And actually, they were hoping he was going to restore the fortunes of Israel. In fact, in the previous chapter, these two blind men said, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. There was something kingly about him. Kanye West must have been right last year when he said that Jesus is king and so I couldn't find a, a good crown kind of like a uh, I could just find this it is a good crown actually one that my daughter made it's slightly uh, feminine, but I just thought it might help us remember that Jesus is king but the thing is when I was younger uh, I used to go to uh, discos in primary school I wasn't a big clubber in those days in my primary school but um there was a whole bunch of songs that they used to play, and one of them, I don't know anybody who's my age or older might remember Star Trekking, it was a slightly odd song, um, and it used to, yeah it's quite irritating actually to it. if you haven't listened to it, you didn't miss a lot, but I'm sure you can find it on YouTube, and had this line, um, it's life Jim, but not as we know it, and for the Jews there's this sense that he's the Messiah, but not as we know it, he's different you see this king's kingdom was one where the blind received sight where the deaf hear where the lame were healed where the poor had good news preached to them, where the dead were raised they were expecting a David who would come in victory offering peace and yet Jesus he rides on a donkey into Jerusalem and he would have to win a victory through his death and ultimately his resurrection People often say at WORBS that I recommend books, and I do. I love recommending books to people, um, something I quite often do. But Phil actually recommended uh, this book to me a few weeks ago called Rebel Ideas by a guy called Matthew Syed, who uh, writes for the Times and the Sunday Times. And it's about diverse thinking in teams. But in it, he speaks about leadership. And he explains how often in kind of human life, but also in the animal kingdom, that uh, people, often rise to the top by being dominant, by being a kind of an alpha male, and often it is a male, that kind of character, a dominant figure. But he also writes of a different sort of leadership. He says this, anthropologists who, uh, anthropologists had seen leaders who did not demand respect from subordinates, but who earned it, whose status was not signaled by aggression, but wisdom, who did not tend to intimidate, but liberate. And they refer to that not as dominance, but as prestige. And I don't know about you, but in that description, I think of the person of Jesus, not a dominant leader, but a prestigious leader. Jesus' kingship is not one of dominance that they were expecting, but one of prestige. Jesus doesn't force his kingship onto people, but he invites us to receive that. And so, like the rabbi question, I want to ask who is your king? Who is your king? In a solo story, um, in Solo, a Star Wars story, Kyra says, "Everybody serves somebody." I've often quoted the postmodern novelist David Foster Wallace, um, who said this. He wasn't a Christian, but he said this: "In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is not, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only thing is we get to choose what we worship." So the question remains, who or what is your king? The final way we see Jesus described in verse 11 is as a prophet. And this is how the crowds respond to the city's question. Who is this? And I don't know what you think of when you think of a prophet, but at their core, they were spokespeople for God. Now, um I gave a talk a, a few months ago in, uh, in February and I bought this for that. And, it's not be- and I thought it would be quite helpful this morning, not because I was thinking of people who stand on street corners and do this, but actually because prophets are essentially mouthpieces for God. And if you've been around church for a while, then you'll know the names of some of the prophets, people like Miriam or Isaiah or Zechariah, who we had quoted a moment or two, or Anna. There was a long line of a tradition who were speaking the truth of God to God's people. And Jesus stands in that tradition. In fact, we see Matthew shapes the narrative. He, as, as, as Jesus gives his teaching in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is up on a, on a hill, and that's kind of a prophetic thing to do, to speak from the mountain. His teaching is kind of split into five lots. And again, that's representing the five books of the Old Testament, five books of the, of, of the Torah, sorry. And so Matthew's saying, This guy is a prophet, even in the way he shapes his story. But Jesus is different as well. Jesus didn't just say, God says, But you have heard it said, but now I say to you. Jesus was a prophet who was speaking on behalf of God. He takes it to a new level. He kind of pitches his authority the same as God. He says things like whoever rejects me rejects the one that sent me. He equates himself with God. He makes his authority totally tied up with God. And in relation to the truth, he says, I am the way the truth and the life. Many have said that we live in a post-truth world where actually people not only disagree on how to interpret facts, but what the facts were in the first place, or even if there are any facts at all. Over the past few weeks, I've been sent some quite unsettling messages to do with uh, the coronavirus and conspiracy theories. And I just want to encourage us. We need to be careful as Christians where we get our information from and not spread uh, panic or fear or kind of dodgy conspiracy theories. Use, Use wise places like the NHS website to get your information because we have to be people of truth. And Jesus claimed to be truth itself. And all of us have a place that we get truth, even if we uh, say we don't believe in truth, even if we simply trust ourselves, our own reason, our own kind of thinking abilities. And so my question for us today in terms of Jesus is being a prophet is who or what is your source of truth? If you're a Christian, uh, it's going, again, it's going to be Jesus. But if you're kind of looking into this, I want to commend to you the one who his friends looked at and couldn't see anything wrong in him. I don't know about your mates, but my mates definitely know what's wrong with me. The one who's um, who when they came up against Jesus, they had to make up lies about him. Jesus was truth itself. And so we see that Jesus was a rabbi and a king and a prophet, but he was even more as well. The crowds cry out, Hosanna. They get the the kind of the, the palms down. They lay their cloaks on the road. And Hosanna literally means save now. Although by Jesus's time, it probably just come to be a, a sense of praise. That was its original meaning. And we've thought about this king and his kingdom. We thought about the fact his kingdom was different. It wasn't going to be kicking out the Romans. It wasn't going to be a kind of a military thing. But actually, it's going to be something very different. And we learned that at the beginning of Matthew, It says that he will be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. In fact, uh, the name Jesus is the Greek for Joshua, which simply means the Lord saves. In these days, many of us understandably are desperate to be saved from COVID-19. That's totally understandable. We've not seen anything like this in living memory. And as we've said many times, Phil said it, we're incredibly grateful to all frontline workers, to those on the NHS, those who are collecting our bins, those who are teaching children still, those who are stocking our shelves, those who are doing deliveries. We're so grateful to all of those and those who are keeping the economy creaking along. But actually, plagues have come and gone in history. Jesus said that along with war and famine, they would continue until one day he returns. And there's a disease that is more infectious than the coronavirus. There's a disease that is more fatal than COVID-19. And that's sin. And sin is simply living as if uh, we have a different king. Than Jesus. It's the root of what we saw in the panic buying a few weeks ago and the selfishness. It's the root of our kind of fake news, the fact we have an inability to be truthful. It's at the root of our personal fallouts with one another and global conflicts. It's at the root of our gossip and our plundering of our planet. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus came to solve that problem for us. And the words of the crowd, Hosanna save are such appropriate words for us in days like today God will you save us God will you save us from this disease but God more importantly will you save us now and for eternity Lord you cause us to have a relationship with you both now that we can live with peace and forgiveness we can live with purpose and meaning both now but also that we can have hope for eternity and Elizabeth said didn't she she's talked about the fact that people are asking questions about life and death and in the person of Jesus we find the one who at the End of the week, we're going to celebrate his resurrection. We're going to celebrate his conquering of death. And if we know him, then we can have hope and trust in him. And that is incredible news in days like today. Such important news, such wonderful news. And that's what gospel means it means good news. Jesus can bring purpose and meaning in life, he can bring resilience in suffering, and he can bring hope even in the face of death. And friends, if you're just joining us from outside, if this is kind of new to you, if you're checking out church and you don't normally come, then if you were in our church on a Sunday morning, we would invite you to come on Alpha with us, where we invite people to come for dinner, watch a video, and then have a no hold bars discussion where you can say it's interesting, I think that's a load of rubbish, I don't know. Now, unfortunately, we can't invite you for dinner, but we can invite you to come uh, and uh, have uh, watch a video and uh, to have discussion with us on Zoom. And we're starting this on Thursday evening at eight o'clock. You can sign up on our website. You can bring the food. You can bring. The refreshments, and we'll bring the video and the discussion. And we would love you to join with us. We ask you to watch the video before you join, and then we'll talk about it afterwards. We'd love to invite you to Alpha on Thursday. And so, as I begin to finish, a few weeks ago, the National Secular Society tweeted asking why religious workers were entitled to be kind of considered as key workers and have their children in school. And they since apologised as they realised perhaps it wasn't uh, very um, sensitive to ask that question. But one of my friends who's a vicar, she tweeted a wonderful response. And she said this. She said, when you're facing death, you need people who deal in life. Who was Jesus? He was the rabbi who teaches. He was the king who reigns. He was the prophet who speaks. But more than that, he was the son of God, who even in this week, we're going to remember, he went to the cross, who conquered death and was raised from the dead. And in these days, especially, that is such important news. Friends, I'm gonna pray. Father God, I wanna thank you for this story of the of the prophet, of the king, of the rabbi. we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his ministry. We thank you for the truth that trickles down through the millennia to us, even today through our computer screens. Father, we ask that in these days that you would give us confidence in the person of Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.